Welcome to Hearthside Salons. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week we bring you conversations with creators and innovators to feed your creative fire. Comedy does a lot. It reflects our culture, good and bad. It points out the absurd. It acts as a balm on an aching psyche. Comedy's doing a lot of heavy lifting right now. Humor has long been a refuge for nerds and outcasts, which doesn't really explain Josh Greenberg, because although he's a self-proclaimed nerd, he was always well-liked. We'll talk about his journey to comedy staff writer and producer from where I know it started, high school. How are you? How are you? Good. This is so crazy. I know. It's so great to see you. It's good to see you, too. And I love the requisite writer background of books. Yes, yes, absolutely. I had to install that just for this. <laughs> Obviously, I have known you since high school. Mm-hmm. We, went, uh, we went to high school together. And um, I would say, like, you were always the funny guy. Like, you were always the funniest guy in the room. I don't know if that's how you perceived it, but, like, that's how it looked from where I was sitting. Do you Did you, like, think of yourself as, a, as the funny guy in, in high school, or was it... No, I mean, I wanted to be the funny guy and I'm, I'm glad that you thought that I was, but I always, you know, I saw myself as just, you know, the nerd of the school, which I mean, I also, I certainly was the nerd of the school, but, um, you know, I think for, for many nerds, comedy or trying to be funny is their escape hatch from being dunked in the toilet. And that was the case for me. So, yes. You know. Did you ever get dunked in the toilet? No, no. I, I, I really evaded any kind of really rough, um, you know, yeah. serious traumatic bullying. So. Well, I feel like our school wasn't really that kind of bullying either. I mean, there wasn't so much of that kind of stuff necessarily. Right. Absolutely. It was but more also, unpsychological. Bullying. Yes, exactly. But you also were that kind of guy where you like, you weren't pigeonholed, you know, like you weren't oh, he's just with that clique. Like you all, I felt like you floated. You could you could fit in with any clique you wanted and people would be like, oh, Josh is here. That's really nice. That's that's very nice of you to say. Yeah, I, I, I kind of felt that too. Um, I, I just, you know, I, uh, I liked a lot of people actually at our, um, in our class. And so I think I was, you know, friendly with a bunch of different sort of like subsets of the class. Yeah. Well, that's why if I ever do go back to a reunion, I'm only going with you because <laughs> I'm not I'm not going by myself. Deal. That's <laughs> back, but back then you you were already writing, right? You mm-hmm. already wrote stuff. You wrote our play, right? No, no, I didn't. I didn't write the play. I, I know Todd I, wrote one year, but then I thought you did another year. No, actually, the other year was Dave Krynas, oh. who has passed away sadly. It was really sad. However. I did play um, drums in the in the That's band. That's right. Yes. That's so I right. did have some involvement, and that was so much fun—a a parody of Star Trek. That's right. Yeah. That was a great. That was a great thing. Did you? But you also did stuff like our literary. Where didn't you do our literary magazine, Orpheus? I I did a little bit, um, but I, I mostly was um, like school newspaper. I was like, okay, new, that's what it was. I couldn't yeah, remember which thing. Yearbook, newspaper. Yep. Yep. Um, and then I guess second semester of, of uh, senior year, I was the editor in chief of 
of the uh, high school paper, which um, I was I was very proud of at the time. The yes, the yes. bark. Um, we should explain that yeah. <laughs> every uh, that we went to Redwood High School. Yes. Consequently, everything at Redwood was named after some tree. It was tree related. Yes. So the yearbook was the log. The, yes. Uh, the high school newspaper was the bark. And there was a newsletter called the twig. That's right. And then, you know, the literary magazine Orpheus, which had nothing to do with any tree related <laughs> right. things. Right, right. You know, those artsy kids got to be different. Exactly. I feel like you seem to have had a more straight trajectory than I did. You know, like we've both ended up here as writers in in Hollywood, you to a more recognized by actual people extent than I have. But you know, like, I went all over the place. I went here, I went there. Did you know, like in high school, like, oh, I'm going to go to Hollywood and write? Or what was your what was your plan? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew in some capacity, I wanted to work in entertainment, um, much to my parents' profound shame. Um, but I didn't know, I didn't know what, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I actually found something that I had written as a freshman in high school that is really embarrassing. That was like, I, uh, I really want to have a career like Steven Spielberg's and uh, there's so much I want to achieve. And um, it was just, it's just horribly embarrassing now to read. But, um, but yeah, I knew I wanted to do something kind of entertainment. And a second to that, I, I actually was considering doing something in journalism. That makes uh, sense. Yeah. Uh, and I sort of, during college, I kind of um, was trying to decide between the two. Um, but I knew, like, in college, I um, I edited the, uh, the Humor magazine, um, which was really fun. And that kind of made me clear that I, I wanted to do, you know, humor writing and make people laugh, so. I mean, that seems like a natural fit to me. So did you, do, I'm assuming your degree is a writing degree. Um, no, in film, actually. Oh, that's right, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I went to Berkeley for undergrad and did film studies, which is this very kind of dry, um, like studying, you know, like arcane, Swedish films of the 1920s, um, you know. That, that sounds it, like Berkeley to me. Abs absolutely, absolutely. By the time it got to my senior year, we were able to take one production class because the school had gotten one camera. It just wasn't, it wasn't really, they weren't really into production there. And by that time I was pretty clear that I wanted to like actually make stuff. And, um, so I decided actually to go to grad school in LA for film uh, in production. And so that's what I did. Gotcha. Yeah. So I, did, I guess I don't know that much about your production experience here. Like, did you come and start doing stuff or what was that like when you first got here? Well, it was, it was actually quite short lived because I believe it was, uh, so I was in the directing program at USC and it was roughly in like the first week when I was trying to load film into a camera out in the hot sun. And I was like, yeah, I, um, I don't like this. This is, this is not cool. This is not for me. Whereas in my screenwriting classes, I was in an air conditioned room and I, I didn't have to figure out how to load a camera. And it was, um, it was just so much more fun for me. 
So I, I took this really weird path at USC where I basically um, kind of on the sly was a writing student. And I, I still graduated with a degree in directing, but I basically just took every writing class that they had. So I love it. Well, how has your experience with that much directing training influenced your writing style or it's how been, you approach a scene? Oh, it's been awesome. It's been really, really, really helpful. I mean, like I would definitely recommend everyone who wants to write, learn about, you know, the uh, logistics of, of production. Um, there've been really cool moments on a couple shows where I feel like I've helped sort of figure out the, you know, actual physical staging of stuff. Mm -hmm. And and that's really what, you know, a, what a writer does. They're, they're from nothing. You're sort of imagining this world. Yeah. It, it was, it was very helpful to me. So, awesome. yeah. so raising hope was your first big one, right? Yeah. I had, I had worked on a couple like um, weird little things before that. I, I worked on um, like a syndicated show with Kevin Smith that like, nothing I know really strange and nothing really happened with it even though we shot a lot of it um so yeah weird little projects like that um and I I had sold a couple features that never got made and that I found that very frustrating um but yes Raising Hope was the first kind of real actual yeah yeah well it's, it's I mean it's like everything you're saying too is to me so emblematic of the Hollywood experience of like you would think getting on a show with kevin smith would be like there you go doors are open you're on your way kid right and then like really what yeah That's yeah nuts. yeah and, yeah. and and all of the people like me who write a lot of features and are like all i've got to do is sell one and then even then like nope yeah it's really really weird and and then you can apply that to trying to get an agent also which is Oh, I have. Unbelievably hard. Yeah, right. Just, oh my God, it's it's so hard to do. Um, so Which is so weird. Yeah. Because like they're technically supposed to work for us and yet. Absolutely. Yeah. So what was that like? Paint the picture, Josh. Take <laughs> us to that first day. You walk into the writer's room at Raising Hope and like, what was it like for you? The first, your first time in a real, in, a, in that writer's room? Terrifying. I would say um, Raising Hope was such an amazing uh, and, and kind of unique writer's room um, because it was the largest writer's room that I've ever really heard of. Wow. It was 19 writers all together um, in one room. Uh, and they were all so, you know, funny and smart. Um, and it was kind of like what I understand it's like to have a lot of siblings where it's just very loud and you have to be loud to be heard. Otherwise you'll, you'll get lost. And, you know, there were a couple people who were on the quieter side and their pitches tended to get lost. So I, I learned very quickly to, you know, you know uh, at least fake confidence and, and be loud and pitching. So. But that, that does seem terrifying to me. Yeah, I think I think that was about the last time we really chatted and checked in. You were like, mm, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Also, that was like one of my absolute favorite shows before I joined it. So I felt, you know, doubly intimidated because um, 
I just thought it was such a funny show. And then I suddenly got to write for it. So that's yeah, that super cool. It was very cool. How does that, so then what happens at the end, the show ends, right? So you then, and then your agent scrambles to get you something else. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, a, a lot of the time, or I guess most of the time you also are scrambling to get something else because, um, agents, you know, can only do so much. Although I love my, I had the same agent I had then I love him. He's, he has been so awesome for me in actually like, you know, really, you know, pushing me out there. So, um, he's been great, but, but yeah, oftentimes it is, um, you know, a connection or someone that, you yeah. know, who got onto another show. Um, that's, but this town really is all who, you know, isn't it? It is. It, it really is. Um, uh, in a way that, you know, that it, there's good and bad to that, but it, the good thing is that there is a weird sort of like, I don't know, democratic thing where like, if you're, if you're a great writer and you, and someone has seen your writing and they know that you're great, well, they're very likely to want to hire you, you know, yeah, to so. seek you out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then you went on and you've had like this series of comedies that you've worked on crowded the McCarthy's and now with last man standing, you are also producing. Yes. So tell me about like, how, how does that, leap happen from writing to producing? Well, um, a lot of it in TV is really just about the, the title more than anything else. I mean, there's, um, in features, it's all very like nebulous and, you know, you could just um, kind of know someone and get a producing credit. Right. Um, in in TV, what, what's so interesting is there is this very set sort of progression of beginning at staff writer and ending up as a showrunner basically with many little you know steps along the way um and at some point you sort of transition to being a um co-producer and then a producer then a supervising producer but they're in a way they're just you know they're just sort of titles you know uh, it 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 definitely varies how much people are actually you know involved uh, more in the production of the show. So, um, like Last Man Standing is, it's funny. I, I feel like um, I may have more kind of, um, what's the word? Like more uh, weight, I guess, in the writer's room, but not especially more responsibilities. It's not like hmm. in any way I'm, I have no, um, yeah, I have no responsibility in like helping to run the show. I guess what I'm saying is if I weren't there, the show would run just as, just as, <laughs> so. Do you, um, do you have like, oh, I wanted to, I skipped over this. What was, so like, what was the hardest part of the learning curve? Either, either starting at Raising Hope or in any other time you've gone into a new writer's room, like what's the hardest? Well, um, I guess it was, you know, I, I've now worked on both kinds of comedy, single camera, Raising Hope, and multicam, everything after that. And uh, that was quite a learning curve. Um, I didn't really know that I would enjoy working on a multi-camera show uh, until I did it. And then I was like, oh my God, this is, this is so fun. Um, can you explain, can you explain for the audience the difference between single and multi? Sure, sure, of course. Um, 
Well, a single camera show is uh, shot very much like a, a feature film um, where you have as many locations as you want and um, you can have close-ups and the camera can move around freely. Um, it just has more of a feel of a movie. So uh, in terms of comedies, you know, shows like um, Community or Kimmy Schmidt uh, or 30 Rock um, and Raising Hope, of course, were single camera shows. Then um, the show I joined after that was the show The McCarthy's. And that was my first experience doing a multi-camera show. A multi-camera show is exactly that. It's, it's set on a sound stage. So very um, set, limited number of sets um, with four cameras all, you know, trained on the, on the stage. And there's a, a studio audience there. And what you're basically doing is live theater and capturing it on, on camera. So it's like you're putting on a little show every week. And it's a, it's a, um, there, there's some similarities to single camera, but it is a totally different kind of production experience. Yeah. So. That's, we, we, Allison asks, uh, do, you, do you write for them differently? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, single camera shows, I think generally are, are just a lot more sort of rapid fire. And in multi-camera shows, you really are accounting for the audience um, reactions to everything. And it's funny, people always assume that it's like canned laughter or reactions. And uh, it really isn't. It's, you know, they have mics on the audience. And so if someone has a weird laugh in the audience, you will actually hear that weird laugh, like in the, you know, unless they mix it out a little bit. But so, yeah, so you're, you're, you're writing uh, a little bit kind of, I guess, looser, I would say, in a mm. camera show. Well, it must be gratifying to hear the audience reacting to your work in real time. There is nothing like it. It is so, so cool. And, and often um, a, a joke or a line won't work. Mm. And, you, you know, you had such high hopes for it. And then the, there's nothing from the audience and you're like, Ooh, yikes, that didn't work. Uh. But then, you know, also sometimes you pitch a replacement and the audience, you know, goes crazy. It's very, very satisfying. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is you, you can rewrite on the fly yes. in the moment, right? That's, yes. that's amazing. Yeah. And these actors um, in, in multicams are just amazing that they can get new words and, recite them you know seconds later um it's, it's very impressive that i find as you know having been in high theater high school theater <laughs> i just find that ability so incredible and like superhuman i can't imagine and my only experience similar is we had a, a soap actor on a feature that i did and he was such a thoroughbred. It was like, you could throw anything at him and he would get it and he would come. And it was like, we just never had to worry because that training is so intense for actors. Absolutely. Oh, I can't imagine what soap actors uh, have to have to do. Memorizing I mean, all the dialogue every day. Besides all the amnesia and the evil yeah. twins. Sure, like, of course. Yes. It's tough. That's really funny. <laughs> what do you, what's your favorite part of the job? Like, what do you... Aside from the audience reacting to your work in real time. I, I guess I really love the working with other people 
because I started out doing features for a few years, I, I, I know that world pretty well. And I found it to be a very um, sad and kind of lonely world where I would often be, um, you know, Jack Nicholson at the Overlook Hotel, just staring at, you know, staring at a blank piece of paper or just, you know, staring at the wall, trying to come up with story points. And that was really tough. You have no one but yourself to, you know, brainstorm with. So it's been so wonderful kind of seeing the other side of that, being in a room of really fun, funny, smart, creative people, and everyone's working together toward a common goal. Um, and, and that's just been really great. I mean, you can pitch an idea, it's kind of half-baked, and you're like, I don't know if this works. And someone else will say, oh, but building on that, what if then this happens? And then someone builds on that. And then you say, that's not what I had in mind at all. And you, no. and you crush um, them. <laughs> exactly. No, um, it's, it's just so cooperative and, and great. That's fabulous. We do um, once a month now, we're doing these writer's room workshop-esque things with uh, Liz Hara, who is one of our alumni and also an Emmy winner. And she leads these as if she was in a writer's room. And, and it, it is really fun. We break an episode and people pitch ideas. And it's like seeing it happen is how I imagine it really is for you. That's uh, very cool. Yeah, it's a lot that's of fun. A, That's a great experience for, for people to have before, before actually going into the writer's room. Yeah. That's really cool. And she talks a lot about, you know, yes, anding things and never, sh never shooting anyone's idea down, but building on it and all that. Absolutely. Stuff, so. Well, yeah, I always, I always say there, there's, there's two things you should not do. Uh, the first is to shoot something down without an alternative. Yeah. If, if you have an alternative, that's great. If you're like, well, this doesn't work and here's why, but what if we did this? But, you know, unfortunately, every once in a while, someone says, yeah, I don't like that. And that just, you know, kills all the momentum. And the other thing that I've learned through experience you should never do is when you're stuck in a, in a story area, people are pitching something and, and nothing's working. Do not ever under any circumstances say, oh, oh, I've got it. Because that will doom, that will doom whatever you're about to say. <laughs> if you have announced to the room that you have the solution, no, it's, yeah. So, Good to know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What's the hardest thing? Or I wouldn't say what do you hate about the job, but like what's the hardest thing about it? Or the mm. least pleasant part? Oh, that's funny. That's that's tough because I, I I know it's very like Pollyanna, but I really enjoy all, you know all of it. Um, I mean, I think it's the same for any writer that the toughest part for me is like getting stuck, getting stuck in an area where you're like, Mm, I cannot figure out a way around this. That's always so frustrating. Those are the times where I'm like, ah, oh, why, why did I choose this um, <laughs> as a career? Yeah, it's, it's just that sort of frustration of trying to solve those problems. But I guess the flip side of that is that uh, is also very gratifying when you conquer that and, and, and you do find a solution. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you, um, of those features that you sold, um, is there anyone that you're like, oh man, I wish I could have the rights back to that to, to do it now? I think I do actually have the, like, have they reverted? I've seen the feature world has, I think the feature world has changed so much in the last few years that I've, I think I've somewhat given up any 
hope mm. of like ever, you know, making them. But yes, I mean, I had, I, I had, I wrote this thing that was a very broad, silly, um, almost like Zucker Brothers type comedy. And um, I sort of missed that style of humor. One of the things that really like inspired me as a kid was Clue. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. And now it's, I mean, it's such a cult movie and so many people love it. But I just remember as a kid, it, it so affected me where I just, I loved that kind of fast screwball dialogue and yes. plotting. So, yeah, I, I went, when I discovered, when I, after I'd moved here I, and I discovered um, things like Ninochka and the shop around the corner and bringing up baby and stuff like that. And I was like, it was this, oh my God, these were all just here the whole time. And I didn't know. And <laughs> right. they're, they're so fun. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, are there any, any amusing anecdotes about things that happened in the room where you're like, I can't believe I did this or, you know, Oh gosh, I should have thought beforehand. Uh, um, uh, personal embarrassment's always a good, you know, learning. right, right. Sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I definitely remember sort of the first thing on, on, um, on Raising Hope, we had um, Jeffrey Tambor as a kind of recurring guest star. Uh -huh. And that was just sort of my first experience with like, oh, there's this actor who is saying the words that I wrote and that is cool. And um, he came into the writer's room and then he, you know, to talk about something and then he left. And I was like, guys, guys, that was Jeffrey Tambor. He, he was here. He was. And everyone thought it was so uh, delightful that I was sort of, you know, starstruck. And then they, they ran off, a few people ran off and they talked to him so that a little while later he came back in screaming about who wrote this one horrible line of dialogue. Oh, no. And it was, it was, that was fun. I mean, I actually could tell that it was a setup, so I was still laughing about it, but he was very committed to, you know, screaming about this line. Oh, I'd be terrified if he were screaming at me because he does commit. Yes, yes. It oh, was, that's it was hilarious. Very, but that I, also tells me you were surrounded by writers who loved you and it wasn't like a get the new guy kind of thing. No, no, it was, yeah, you're right. It was, it was very, it was very loving. And, and that, that uh, also a, a really cool moment then was like, um, my parents have always loved Cloris Leachman. Um, as, as have I, but my yeah. parents are huge Mel Brooks fans. Um, my mom's favorite movie is High Anxiety with Cloris Leachman. So I got to bring them to the set to meet Cloris and that was just, it was really cool. Um, was, was that the moment where they were like, okay, it's okay that you weren't a doctor. Exactly. Yes. We approve. Yes, I, I, think, I think that's when I earned their love. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think makes a great comedy beat? Hmm. Ah, that's that's a good question. I mean, and co comedy is so very subjective that it's uh, it's really hard to um, kind of quantify. You know? Yeah. Well, that's why it doesn't have to be the right answer. It's just <laughs> your answer. I mean, it's yeah. It's just um, I guess it's you know obviously it's the unexpected and. Mm. Um, I really do feel like if it makes you the writer laugh, then it's going to make other people laugh. Um, uh, 
but I have seen people try to sort of like scientifically find the answer for comedy, which is just, you know, unknowable. It's words um, that start with K. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm always reminded of uh, another great movie, I'm Waiting for Guffman, where, um, have, you, have you seen it? Oh, have yes. You? Okay. So Eugene Levy is the like town dentist or something who's cast in the local community theater play. And um, he's supposed to be like funny in it. And during one of these interviews, he's, he's very dry and very nerdy. And he's like, just kind of pontificating. And he says, people often ask me if I was the class clown in high school. And I tell them, no, I wasn't. But I sat next to him and I studied him. And the, the, just the, the notion that he could crib off of the class clown and learn to be funny just always delighted me. So I love it. Yes. And we were just in, 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 the, in the world of, of the, the Christopher Guest. Or I can't say French words. I don't know. You know what I mean. Have you ever heard um, Alex Trebek say the word genre? Oh no, what does he do? There's a YouTube like compilation of him saying that word. And every time he says genre. Well, we're it, definitely it, gonna link to that. Oh good. It is fantastic. Fred Fred Willard was they were we were just talking because you know, rest his soul. Um, we were just talking about that and it, he's been talked about a lot in the last last few days and stuff. And um, the thing that was that came up was that he never, he never indicated that he was in on the joke. Like he never said he, he, he never made he, he never, there was no wink, wink, you know, he was just. Absolutely. It's that, that's, that's such a great uh, point. It's, it's, you know, it does, it's funny mentioning this, the Zucker brothers again, it goes back to airplane. And when they cast airplane, they cast it with all these actors who had never done comedy before. And even Leslie Nielsen was not known for comedy. He was a dramatic actor. And, you know, so was like Robert Stack and Lloyd mm -hmm. Bridges. And they were all just sort of like, why are we cast in this? Like, so their, their questions were like, how do we read this? Do we read it funny? You know, and the Zucker brothers were like, no, because this is not funny to you. This, this airplane disaster is quite real. And I just, I always love that, that notion. It's, it's, uh, it's the same idea as uh, casting Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black. Yes. Like you have hired the most deadpan, dry actor, and that makes it so damn funny. Yes. And I, I think it was actually Jeffrey Tambor that said, um, what, how do you play, someone asked how you play, how you play comedy. And he said, like, it's Shakespeare. You, it's, you mm. take it serious, serious AF. And like, I, that's what makes it funny. That is, that is great. Yes. So, so, so that's what, what I was thinking of when you said he came running in the room screaming at you. I was like, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. Can you think of, um, well, first, actually, I, I want to ask what, what your influences were. And you talked about Mel Brooks and stuff like that. What are, any other favorite well, comedy? Clue was hugely important. I saw it in the theater and then I got it on like VHS and I wore out the video from watching it over and over again. And I'm, I, I still watch it every once in a while. It's, it, it's interesting to me because it was such a reviled movie. Like yeah. it was just critics hated that movie, just hated it. Um, and uh, I just thought it was so damn funny. Actually, um, 
several years ago, I helped to organize a screening of it at the New Art no that way. brought the um, director, Jonathan Lynn, to, you know, to speak. And this, this actor, Colleen Camp, who played um, Yvette, the maid. Okay. Um, and for him, it was his first time seeing it play in a theater since the premiere, which was kind of disastrous. Wow. You know, the, the premiere was like, uh, people, Cringy. yeah. And he was so moved seeing this sold out audience who knew all the, you know, all the dialogue. So yes, I, I've been devoted to that movie like since childhood. And then another really big influence, which is kind of wacky, is also from the 80s. It's the uh, miniseries V. Wow, I did not expect that answer. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that at all? Oh yeah, I, it was scary. Very, it was. They had the like things on their faces. Well, yeah, they were, they were, they were aliens. Who? Yeah, yeah. I, the idea of aliens here frightens me. So, understandably, but that um, I, I always feel like Clue influenced the like comedic side of me and V spoke to the sci-fi nerd in me. I love it. For me, my my clue is uh, French Kiss. It's to me, it's, oh, yeah. it's the most perfectly structured modern rom-com and I will fight anyone who says differently. And I am obsessed with the idea of getting Kevin Klein in something that, that I wrote. Like that would be the, my, that would be my Everest right there. You know, I must admit, I, I know what it is. It's like Meg Ryan and Kevin Klein. Yeah, I, it's not- a very, it's a very under, unknown gem and it's it's Meg Ryan and Kevin Klein and he she has her perfect she's very uptight and she has her perfect little vision of what she thinks the future should be and her husband her fiance has to go to Paris on a business trip and she's afraid of flying so she doesn't go with him and he calls to say I met the goddess of my life bye and she gets herself on the plane and goes to get him back and on the plane she's sitting next to Kevin Klein who is a, a debonair jewel thief and uh, would-be vintner and the two of them proceed to have a delightful adventure winning trying to win back her fiance and of course wow. in love in the process and it's just that sounds great I, I wrote it down so well done who plays the uh, fiance do you remember oh my god I'm blank uh Timothy Hutton. That one. I was like, I, if I say Dalton, it's Hutton. And if I say Hutton, it's Dalton. Right. I, I right. can't. And uh, Jean Renault plays the, uh, the cop who's like the detective who's knows that his buddy Luke is a criminal, but like is trying to help him do the right thing. And, you know, I mean, it's like, it's a great cast. It's a great, it's so well-structured in terms of like, you know, the exchange of gifts of the protagonist and antagonist, like the whole, like it's so well-structured and I just sing its praises every chance I get. Awesome. I'm going to check that out. I teach it in my screenwriting course. Oh, really? As a perfect structure. Yes. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, that's, you start teaching, you can just shove what you love down <laughs> people's throats and they can't do anything about it. Right. The students are like, why are we watching Clue again? Again. Because Tim Curry. I mean, come on. I know. I adore that man. What is, can you think of like, like one perfect episode? of like a favorite sitcom that you're like, you know, what really does it is that show, that episode. Hmm, boy. Uh, well, I love Frasier. Um, uh, I, I, I guess that's very dorky, but um, there's a, the Frasier episode where they have to do the radio play. 
Um, yeah. I don't know if you if you've seen that. It's it's just yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of Clue, it's very very like you know farce farcy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's just so silly and fun, and you've got these really wonderful committed actors. You know, as we were saying before, not playing it as a joke. Oh yeah. Playing, playing the desperation of it. It's it's just so wonderful. That's well. That's an interesting through line. The farcical aspect of comedy, and in, in to that, what do you think? Like, wh- where are we going? What 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 does comedy need? What do we need from comedy right now? What shows should we have on the air? Boy, what a good question. Well, um, the one thing that that strikes me is now having I'm go- just going back to the single camera versus multi camera thing is that every few years there's an article about the death of the multicam like are we done with sitcoms has america like there's this feeling that irony sort of has killed a comedy in a way and that because there are so many shows on the air that are very dry and and sort of witty and sarcastic maybe that um, multi-camera shows which often are a little bit you know maybe more kind of broad or they, they can be broad mm-hmm. are, are going away. And then comes a show like Big Bang Theory or something that's, you know, a huge hit. Uh, and that, that's just a cycle that keeps happening over and over and over. And, and I think that's cool. I mean, I think that there's something, I mean, I, what I mean is that I think it's cool that multicams seem to reinvent themselves mm-hmm. and don't really ever go away. So. I would think too, because of given what we're all going through right now in, if you look back at like the twenties and the crash and everything people were going through, and then we get like that golden age of comedy. And I feel like people want, like we want silly, right. You know, it's like that. Give us another airplane. Yeah. I mean, at at its heart, it should be escapism. You know, that's kind of what entertainment is. I mean, if it makes you think about things going on in the real world, that's great as well. Um, but it really is there to entertain. You know, gosh, what we're going through right now is so brutal that um, escapism is, is really nice right now. Yeah. So. yeah, I feel like that, you know, after we all got our Tiger King on and, you know, <laughs> then it's like just like we 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 binged Shit's Creek and went through it so fast. I'm I'm like having withdrawals. I'm like I need right. I need more. I need more Dan Levy first of all. Right. But like oh, I just okay. I just you know it's like I need that. Do you and, want a recommendation? Yes. I put this off for a long time, but finally binged what we do in the shadows. Oh yes, I love Taika Waititi. Uh, he's amazing, and um. I had seen the, sh- the movie in, in theaters and um, because I loved that so much, I was very like skeptical about watching this TV series. And oh my God, the show is so, so amazing. I mean, I haven't laughed, you know, that hard in a long time. So highly recommended. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, did I just get that wrong? He's, um, yeah, I did get that wrong. That's Jermaine Clement. And not, it's the other awesome Kiwi. But Taika 
does uh, I call him Taika? We're on a first name basis. Sure. He is he is involved in the show too? He um, okay. So I was he, like, yeah, he did the the movie and then he directs a few episodes and I think he may have like co-written. That's what I thought, but then I was second guessing myself. I'm like, why now? I look dumb. No, no, you were you were correct. You were correct. <laughs> Jermaine, I think Jermaine is maybe the main. He's kind of the main movie. vampire in the movie, but I don't know. He's no, not he, in the show, right? Uh, well, he's the main sort of creative force in the, yeah. I think, in the show. He's the producer. Um, and then, um, tiny spoiler, he does appear, and so does Taika um, in the series. So Nice. Well, I love them. I mean, Flight of the Concords is, I adore that show. Like Absolutely. Just what the heck is happening? What do you wish you'd known going into this career? What would have made it easier, smoother, less painful at times? Ooh, um, pay, I guess patience and, uh, you know, the, the, the notion of, of being patient with myself. I was so eager to kind of break down the, the Hollywood door and, and get working. And it was, it was a pretty, like, circuitous route to get there. Mm. Not quick. So that was difficult. Those were, those were really frustrating times. There were many times where I was like, I, what am I doing? I should just not try this anymore. This is not working out. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't yeah. move away. During, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I remember this coming up when I, when, when I was at UCLA and you were at USC, the, the, just the, the concept of attrition, you know, this is a game of attrition. It's like, if you can stick it out, eventually... <laughs> something will go forward for you. You know, if, given that you have a modicum of talent, if you can stick it out. Absolutely. Yes, yes, completely. And I know I'm I'm in that boat of like so many near misses. And mm-hmm. So many, oh, it's going this time. Oh, they're buying it this time. Oh, wait, oh, just kidding. I know. I totally, totally get that. Um, but yeah, the key is absolutely persistence in this game. What would you, Josh, now say to your 13 year old self or your, your pre high school self about like where you were going to be. Oh, cause we're all so awkward and like at that age. And then just like, what do you, what would you say to that guy? Oh boy. That's um, I'll have to talk about this in therapy. This I was going to say, you can cry if you want. Yeah, I might, I might. Um, I mean, I guess just, yeah, the, 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 the idea that, it is such a weird roundabout journey. Um, I actually hate when people use the word journey, even though I just did it because they overuse it on The Bachelor. Um, I don't know if you watch The Bachelor, but every no. the journey. Sadly, I do it, not. They always mention the journey. Um, uh, yes. So I'm sorry, I sidetracked myself. But yes, just because it's it's such a uh, weird, long, uh, zigzaggy path to to. Uh, just, just be in the, in this industry, I I guess I would say just chill out, just relax and enjoy it and don't take it too seriously, which is really hard to do when you're, you know, in your twenties and And you want it so badly. Exactly. Exactly. Do you, because I always find that writing is therapy. It's like free therapy because every character is some aspect of you and you're working through your stuff. Like, how is that? Has that, has that been your experience? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, you know, I, um, for a couple of years I did stand up. That's great. Um, yeah. Uh, Which seems it, extra terrifying. Yeah, it, it was terrifying, but also amazing. And another thing I would recommend for anyone who wants to, not just be a comedy writer, but just a writer, because uh, it's such an amazing form of kind of uh, self-expression. And that mm -hmm. is therapy. I mean, stand-up comedy where you must talk about yourself and um, make it interesting and funny. Uh, it was a wonderful therapeutic you know, art form. Did so. you did you ever get heckled really? Like, did you ever get a tomato or anything? No, I never did. I, I always did relatively pretty well. I, I think it was also, it was easier for me because I did not want to be a stand-up comic. I So for me, I was like, I'm just up here having fun and doing my thing. Um, other people, you know, really wanted to be uh, successful working comics and I never really had that. So for me, it was a little bit easier. Oh, Allison's asking if you remember any of your set. Well, I made fun of Billy Joel a lot. I offended many people because I, I just hate Billy Joel and um, like passionately. And so- What is it about him that gets you? I don't know. I think his sort of like um, earnestness really bothers me. And the, the weird thing is, I think as a kid, I may have even liked Billy Joel. So something, Something happened. Is it shame? Is it about your own shame? That's probably, and now we're getting into the, the deep elements of this. Yes. Yes. But like, so I would talk about Billy Joel and how I would explain his background that he was from Long Island in New York. And, and oftentimes people in the audience would be from Long Island. And, and I would say, so you must like Billy Joel. Inevitably they, they did. And I would say, just to give you some background, Long Island has an interesting history. It's not actually a long island. It just feels long because you have to grow up listening to Billy Joel. And that made people really angry. And then I, I, I would talk about how when I was a kid, my parents loved Billy Joel. So they played him a lot. And, you know, that is true. My parents played the, the uh, An Innocent Man album all the time. And um, I remember being like a little kid and my mom was playing Piano Man. And I was like listening to the words and, he, and there's this one part where he's like, they sit at the bar and do you know the rest of it? Put bread in my jar yeah, and say, man, jar. what are you doing here? That's exactly right. Yes. And I was like, I was just this little, you know, sweet, inquisitive kid. And I was like, mommy, why are the customers putting bread in the man's <laughs> jar? And my mom was like, ah, okay, we'll see bread. Uh, it's a slang term. It's a synonym for money. And I said, no, I know, but why are people tipping Billy Joel? He's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Out of the mouths of babes. Yeah, yes, exactly. So I guess just a lot of Billy Joel material. A lot of Billy Joel material. I think that's fantastic. I seem to remember, was it you that posted a thing of, like deconstructing the lyrics to that song? Oh, I, I don't know. Or I may, some, I may have. There was a comedy essay, maybe it was on McSweeney's, that somebody like literally broke, and I, I'm just attributing it to you, but it's like somebody breaks down, like, of, of, of course it's Saturday. Of course the bar is going to be packed. Like, right. And he finds fault with every single line. And it's right. so. and Davey, who's still in the Navy and probably oh, will be for life. for life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so much. That, that, that is... Uh, <laughs> have, do you, have you ever 
Have you ever lived in New York? Uh, no. By the way, I enjoy your yes glass. That is pretty cool. Um, fun, funny, funny story. I hate progressive rock. And somehow I have ended up in the world of progressive rock. Um, I have made a bunch of music videos for a bunch of progressive rock bands. And um, I'm making a documentary about the founding guitarist of Yes, because my friends wanted to, and I have conducted 40 hours of interviews now with people who knew him. And oh, crap. so somehow this is in my, my orbit now. And I don't really know why, because I mean, as you may recall, my favorite bands were Duran Duran and Depeche Mode. So how sure. I ended up over here, I don't know, but. That's amazing. Well, I, I must ask, do you feel that it's given you a greater appreciation for progressive rock or has it not changed your opinion? Um, it's made me more tolerant of it. I can't remember. Oh, what was that guy's name? I think his name was also Josh. In high school, the guy that used to wear the Rush t-shirt like all the time. Right. And I was always like, you know, you suck. Not, I Josh mean Long. What? Lon. Lon, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I would always just be like, they suck. No, no, no. You know, and and like it's made me appreciate the music more to a greater extent um it definitely like okay it's it's like music where they play wherein they play all of the notes um and the structure is more classical and can go everywhere and and because of that it's because of the training the people that went into it were often classically trained so they were from upper crust families so there's a little bit of snobbery uh involved right but, I mean, it's still, it's, I, I wouldn't by choice put it on. No. Right. I'm still going to go for the Depeche Mode when I can. Do you know the original name for Rush, the band? I do not. They were originally called uh, Lady Repellent. No, I'm sorry. I said, <laughs> well, I mean, yes. But, I've yeah. actually, I've actually been, because of this, because of this project, I've actually now been on the Cruise to the Edge, which is the Yes Cruise. Whoa. As one of the few females that was on the boat. It's actually, you know what the thing is? I love to, you know, I could bag on, on that all day. But the thing is, everyone on the boat was so nice. Aww. Like everyone. And it's like, you know what? These are the people that were the nerds in high school. And the sure. people that probably got bullied. And like, they are the nicest. And they're the smart people because right. they like more complicated stuff. So it's like. You know, I, I went on the cruise all like, and I'm, I have better music taste. And then I was like, oh, these people are all so nice. And I feel so welcome. And like, we had that's, a great time. We had a great that's time. Sweet. That's so. really sweet. There's, a, there's actually a great documentary about Rush where they interview um, the members of KISS because Rush weirdly opened up for KISS back in the day. And KISS talks about how like after a show, they would just be like, you know, up to their eyeballs and groupies and uh, debauchery. And they were to rush, they were like, come on, let's go back to the hotel and, you know, indulge in terrible things. And Rush was all like, no, we have to get back to our hotel and read our Tolkien. Um, so I just thought that was delightful. That's amazing. Yeah. But I think really, if we examine the Tolkien influence on popular music, Led Zeppelin has far more Tolkien related which is, Thank you know, you. and those guys were also drowning in <laughs> the groupies. Right. So, so they found a balance between yeah. nerd, nerddom and groupies. Yeah, it's the hair. 
That's right. Robert Plant's hair and the open shirt. I mean, you know. That's right. I was going to say no one wants to see Getty Lee without a shirt on, but I don't even know what he looks like, so I can't even make that. He huh. could be just as handsome as Robert Plant or was, and I don't know. I, I, I don't think so, because generally he resembles uh, the gargoyle that would be on the side of a, of a skyscraper. So. Sorry, wow. I, I, do, I do love Rush. That was mean. Of me. I was going to say, I think what's happening here is you're, you're admitting to the world that you actually love Rush. I kind of do. I kind of do. I, I also play the drums, and um, you're required by law to enjoy Rush if you play drums. Yes, yes, I, I've, so I've heard. We have a piece of art by Carl Palmer that, uh, that I got on the, on the cruise that he makes by attaching these little glow lights to the end of his sticks, and he drums a whole song in like a long exposure thing, and then he makes a print, so you've got all these crazy... It's actually yeah. really pretty cool. Really cool. Yeah. So I may be secretly more of a nerd as well. <laughs> Allison says to take a power journey. Um, I think we can say as kids that grew up in Marin, so did Stephen Perry live there. Stephen, yeah. Steve Perry. We're, we're like yeah. on a, first, you know, Steve Perry lived there. The band lived there. Um, I saw Steve Perry in the Lucky's, the grocery store down the street from school one day. So I, I was on a flight with Steve Perry once from LA back up to, to San Francisco, a, a very a tiny little man with a, a mighty mullet. And that nose, man. He's got yeah. the, the nose and the mullet and the ego, but dang, can he sing. Absolutely. So we won't bag on Journey because they're amazing. No, my, my, my wife really hates Journey. So whenever they come on the radio, yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and you married her. I, yeah, yeah, wow. I overlooked that flaw. That single flaw, um, uh, but yeah. So I have to secretly listen to Journey, but you know. So. Well, when the lights go down in the city. <laughs> indeed, indeed. A little nostalgia for the north, right. you know. And that's the the funny thing is, I didn't. Um, I was, as you know, quite bitter about our high school experience and didn't really want anything to do with Northern California, and. Um, it wasn't until recently I went back up because a friend of mine had a, had something in the Napa Valley Film Fest. So we went up for that. And I was like, oh, it's really pretty up here. <laughs> I forgot. And I went, visited um, Rada and Jason. Oh, wow. So got to see some of our, our high school friends. And it was just like, oh, wait, there were good things, weren't there? That's there were nice. good people and funny, smart people. And it was it was nice. Yeah, I guess, you know, with enough distance, you can look back and say, oh, this was a nice place. Isn't that uh, what tragedy plus time equals comedy? That's right. That's right. So, well, Josh, I want to thank you so much for being here. This has been really fun. Oh. Um, thank you for sharing um, all your wisdom with us and your comedy. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. And it was so nice uh, getting to talk with you. Next time on Hearthside Salons, three actors waiting tables in Hollywood. You know the story. Finding work is hard. Breaking in is hard. So they say they'll make their own luck. A lot of people say that. But then they actually do it. I talk with the creators of the new pilot, No Actor Parking, on how they pulled it off and what comes next. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online Concept to Pages screenwriting courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, visit us at pagecraftwriting.com. 
at PageCraftWriting on Instagram and at PageCraftWrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from PageCraft. Thanks for listening and stay well.